Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Bula, hola, and welcome to the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the rugby podcast that is entirely in Spanish and Fijian. Today, joining me is Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? Yeah, all right. I, uh, I can't really think of a funny like Spanish way of saying my name, or your name indeed, without sounding racist. Who are you? What's your name? How would you pronounce your name? I'm... Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call it. Okay, how do you say um, that in Spanish? I go by literally anything. Okay. Uh, les Squidge. Les Squidge. That's how you say it. Yeah. I mean, I've mentioned my thing about not being able to speak to Guanimov. You were there, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it was after a game between Racing and Letter Tigers. Which yes. Which played in Nottingham, so we went yeah, along. The city ground, yeah. Carter. Yeah. We went on, there was a pitch invasion by Racing fans afterwards, after they won. Yeah. And we joined in, we went yeah, on the pitch. yeah. yeah. You hug Luke Charteris. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I kind of went for a high five with him and he got really carried away with it and like did the like, that kind of high five where you slap the guy on the back. Yeah. Luke Charteris was buzzing because I was wearing a whale shit. So he was buzzing like, oh yeah, yeah, there's somebody who's a fan of me here. Like, it's not just my teammates that I yeah. can celebrate this with. That was great. I also shook Mike Phillips' hand and he did not give a Mike shit. Mike Phillips did not care. He did but not Luke care. Luke Charteris was absolutely delighted to see yeah, him. Yeah, he was Luke buzzing Charteris to see him. never been happier, man. Like, Luke Charteris' job now is entirely, entirely line-outs. Yeah, like, yeah. And that is a man who loves line-outs. But he's never been happier than you were shaking your hand. <laughs> but it is at Bath, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but uh, it's it, interesting, actually, because before... I know you've got a story you want to mm. tell here, mm. but there is a sub-story of this. And this is long before you were even Squidge or anything like that. Sure. But we went to this game specifically yeah. because Dan Carter was in yeah, Nottingham, yeah. where we live. Yeah. And just for Dan Carter, we went that because he was playing for Racing at this point. Mm. And it was monumental seeing Dan Carter that close up in the flesh. <laughs> Sadly, by the time we got onto the pitch for the invasion, we obviously just bolted it straight Dan to look Carter for Carter. Straight down. He Every, was straight yeah. in the change room. Like, he knew yeah. that he couldn't hang about. Instead, we met Brian O'Driscoll very briefly. Well, I say he met. Did. He didn't speak to yeah. us. But... I did get a picture with him. You're in the background of said picture. And he didn't say a word, but I, I, he he kind of said, yes, that's okay. You can have pictures. Anyway, you wore a t-shirt. You, you know, you described the t-shirt. I, it was well, your I idea. I've got a plain white t-shirt. Yeah. I've written on it. I love you, Dan Carter, but I can't afford an all black shirt. Because I wanted to show that I was supporting Dan Carter. So I wrote that on in, in marker pen on that t-shirt. Yeah. And sadly, it never got used again. You've still got it, though, haven't you? It's still in your yeah, room somewhere. I believe so. I believe it's still yeah. hanging up in a in a cupboard somewhere. Yeah. Um, I also, I've mentioned this One before. day, that will go for millions. That was the day that I touched Maxime Machineau's bum. Oh, yes, of course. Of course. I believe Your, I your fingers, like, brushed Oh, uh, no, Machineau's I bum, full on, like, touched his... Because they did, like, a tunnel with walking through all of the supporters and, like, people patting them on the back and so on. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, Mashino, I guess it was lower down than I was expecting, because he's, or that, I don't know, whatever yeah, yeah. it was. 
And but you, I, you felt his bare ass I, and, my hand and his asshole his... specifically. Yeah. I, yes, I put fingers into my... I did not do that. I want to make that very, very clear. What was it like? What was no, his ass like? I've, look, I believe I've talked about this before. I believe I'm on the record talking about this before. But yeah, Maxi yeah. Mashno had the firmest buttocks I've ever felt. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah, my hand... Well, we had a moment of looking at each other and I went to apologise, but we kind of like looked at each other, but like both realised that was awkward and it was a mistake. <laughs> and then he kept walking and I kind of went about my business. But my hand like went quite firmly onto Maxi accidentally. I want to make the point very accidentally when they're doing a tunnel of supporters patting people through. Went accidentally onto Maxi Mashno's butt. Yeah. You gave him le squeege. I, d- I did not mean to. Were they the nicest buttocks you've touched? Were they up there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course they were. Uh, certainly as far as French international scrum halves go. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, Whose I've only touched, touched three more. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> Jean-Marc Dusan didn't quite Jean-Marc... live up to it. No, really, really not the same. Yeah. More compares, weirdly flabby, um, for quite a quite a small man. And then I was an enormous, enormous fan of how um <laughs> the buttocks yeah. of Buxies? No, because I was gonna right, because I was gonna, La Maison. I was gonna go for like Castanier, because my first instinct was to go for someone that isn't obvious, and yeah. I thought like, oh, why don't I say like Pauline Bourdon? Then realised that's got very different connotations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. didn't want to do that. I don't like this bit, and I want to move on from this. Okay, bit. okay. Tell us the story about Hualimov. Nah, let's not. Um, let's go <laughs> on to Argentina v Fiji. From the basically, I saw Hualimov. Uh, he was standing there, and he was one of my favorite players at the time. I really, I was a really yeah, good fan yeah. of Hualimov. I can and, and I saw him standing there and he was kind of chatting to the people and he started to walk off and he was kind of looking around and like, does no one else want to talk to me? And I went over and thought like, I can go and talk to Juanimov. And then I thought, He's unmarked. And I started rattling through all the Spanish I knew. And the only words in Spanish I could remember off the top of my head were the words for orange juice and rapist. Zoma de Naranja and Violador. Yeah. Uh, which has a far longer story associated, and I feel like I've told it on this podcast before. I think you have. I think you have, yeah. And I thought, no, I'm not going to go up to him and say, hello, yeah. I am the orange juice rapist. <laughs> that seemed like a bad idea, so I didn't yeah. do it, and I don't yeah. like this story. Yeah. And, you know, obviously if it was Paddy Jackson I was interviewing, I may have sure. said one of those two things to him. Sure. Because I know he loves orange juice. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, it's a very different, very different story. Yeah. Why do they tell that story? I don't know. We were talking about Spanish. Uh, okay. The language. I once yeah. said "Gracias amigo" to Lucas Gonzalez and Morosino. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. After, Where were tw- you? It was the 2015 World Cup, Argentina versus Namibia. Uh, he just signed my ticket. Oh. From the, when we went to the uh, 2015 World Cup mm. together, a bunch of my tickets got signed, and I, I looked at them the other day, and I barely remember who I got to sign most of them. <laughs> I think one of them's Kieran Hearn. I think one of them's Tom right. Francis. Kieran one of them Hearn, definitely. A, I think chat of Kieran Hearn. Like we, yeah. we talked about how good a World Cup he had, and he was not bothered. I remember using the word outstanding to him and he was yeah. just there like oh thanks because i think i think that actually did mean something to him he that really, somebody he paid attention appreciated but it was yeah. just after they lost to romania later yeah on, so he was he wasn't like, in a good mood crestfallen yeah nathan hiriyama said thanks for coming for us as well yes he did that yeah. was he's just he a very him. polite canadian man yeah uh, is nathan hiriyama oh we could go on with these but i think we need to save some of these stories back yeah i mean we've only got a very limited number and yes. they're not especially good stories. No, none of so, them are any good, but yeah. Yeah, so the game we're here to talk about is the first upset in the history of the Rugby World Cup. 
which was Argentina against Fiji from 1987. The very first major upset in the history of Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Argentina, despite the time still being a tier two nation, very much went in as favourites. Yeah. Commentators constantly talk about how they're favourites to get to quarterfinals. That they'll yeah. probably lose to the All Blacks, but they should breeze through this pool otherwise, with Fiji and Italy being the other teams in the pool. Exactly. And there was a real like vibe around Argentina. Like they were one of the teams who were really talked up. Uh, they were one of the biggest advocates for there being a Rugby World Cup. Yeah. So they had, two years prior to this, they toured New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of the moment that Argentine rugby really made its name. Hugo Porter was the captain at the time. He'd been playing for them for quite a long time. And he yeah, he's like, 35 at this stage. Yeah, I mean, there was there was an article in Rugby World about him a few years ago when they did a rundown of the greatest tens of all time in which they argued that Porter might be the player who did most for rugby in the nation of any player in history. Right, okay. Um, and I think that's fair. Like, yeah. Hugo Porter single-handedly raised up Argentina. That is that is valid, to be fair. And, like, even looking at this Argentina team now, he is very much the one who stands out on that team. Yeah. To be fair, there's, you know, I'm probably not the most qualified to talk about this because I don't really know I that mean, many we'll, of the players. We'll get into it as we go on, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah, so Argentina had toured New Zealand two years earlier, or they'd had New Zealand tour there two years earlier. Yeah. So they played two tests against them. And in that time, right, in those games, the first test was 2033 to New Zealand. New okay. winning it. That's, it like that's a, quite close. Argentina put up a fight. Yeah, yeah. And Hugo Porter scored all 20 of Argentina's points. The second test was a 21-all draw, with once again Hugo Porter scoring all of the All Blacks points. That's, that that's monumental. That their best result against the All Blacks until... Two years ago 20, now. 20, yeah. Until 2020, yeah. when they finally beat them. Yeah, that's that's amazing, to be fair. He, he really does stand out on this team sheet, doesn't he? Because yeah. like, he's the one who you recognise as an all-time great, which really does say a lot to say this is 1987 and this is him retiring not long after this. Mm. That's a hell of a reputation to, to build when Argentina didn't really, weren't really known as having a rugby team before this point. As you say, he's sort of the guy who raised their profile uh, because... Argentina, Argentina's rugby team. Let's face it, weren't that good back then. No, they were. They were building. They'd kind of yeah, built themselves sure. from nothing into the. But without, if they, if Porter never happened, is my point. Port, if Porter never happened, they because they beat Australia in the seventies, and that was kind of seen as like a huge fluke result. Right. Yeah. And then Porter happened straight afterwards. Yeah. And suddenly they become like, oh, they're a consistent team who can produce these players. Sure. In the lead up to this World Cup. They beat France in two tests in 1985 and then 1986. And oh, okay, that's strong. France were Six Nations champions heading into this World Cup. Okay, and I have misjudged Argentina in the 80s. Okay, but they were kind of coming out of nowhere. You know, yeah, they were coming sure. out of nowhere in the like five years leading into this World Cup. Yeah, it's it's similar to sort of you know remember in Samoa in the 20, sort of 2011 when they beat Australia. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that was kind of a fluke result. Sure. Imagine if they kicked on from there. And yeah. Porter was a big part of them kicking on from there. Cool. And then building towards the point at which we have 2007. And there are links to 2007 in this team, which we'll get onto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fiji, before we move on, just for context while I'm giving it. Yeah. Fiji finished third in the Pacific Nations tournament that year. Yeah. Western Samoa had won it, despite not being in the World Cup. They weren't invited. Uh, and Tonga had finished second. Yeah. So Fiji had lost to both of those. Only narrowly both games, but they still lost. But then it also lost 67-7 to the New Zealand Provincial Barbarians in a <sighs> World a Cup warm-up match. Yeah. So the commentator says at one point that the only game they've won in the last couple of years was against Auckland, mm. which is really quite telling. So the commentators certainly weren't expecting Fiji to pull off a win at this point. No, Did like, you they were huge underdogs. The other thing about Fiji that they said as they were running out for the kickoff, what? the week before this match, 
Fiji overthrew their government. Oh. And so the, the uh, interviewers and everything were asking, you know, is this going to throw you off the game at all? Mm. And the Fijian coach had to keep playing it down and saying, you know, we're, we're not affected by world news uh, mentally wow. or psychologically in our camp. Uh, so they, they were, you know, they, they were focused on the task at hand, which was Jesus, beating Argentina. Wow. So, yeah, that's the I week before that. the week before this, I, this test match. I think I mentioned in the first episode on this that the Fijian, Fijian revolution took place this year. Yes, you did. You did. But I didn't realise it was a week before the World Cup. Yeah, ten days before this, ten this days. particular wow. match. Yeah. That's enormous. So it was the week the World Cup started. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Wow. Should, should we move on to look at the teams then? Yeah, let's look at the teams. Because I think they're, they're quite interesting teams. When they are, they are. Do you want to start um, with Argentina? Let's start with Argentina. So captain by Hugo Porter at 10, who is yeah. the real stand-up player, as you say, when you look at them, he's yeah, the, yeah. the real icon, the iconic player that you're out. Yeah. My favourite point of this team is the front row. Yes. So... Argentina's first choice hooker got injured just before this World Cup and instead of calling up a replacement hooker for him they just decided to play free props in the front row so I love all three of their front rowers are props uh, Diego Cash wears the hooker shirt because he was yeah. the shortest of the props they had Johnny's son Johnny Cash's oh, son right, yes, yeah sorry Diego Cash of course goes on to be the forwards coach of Argentina in the 2007 World Cup. Right, uh, when okay. Those upsets. So he Cash rules everything around me. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Dollar, dollar, bill, you all. <laughs> the, look, last, a few episodes ago, we had the dollar too strong for the yen. This time, <laughs> cash not strong enough at all. And we also have, on coaching terms, uh, Fabian Tonez at 12 for Argentina. Right. Who, you may not recognise his name. I don't. Because you may not remember the job he's done, despite it being very relevant to us. Okay. Uh, he goes on to be the attack coach for Argentina under Santiago Falan, at oh. the including at the 2011 Rugby World Cup. Right. So all of those games when Argentina's entire attack is give it to Rodriguez on the halfway line to have a shot at goal. <laughs> it's his that fault. Was that was it's... him. Look, he's the one who didn't overcoach Felipe Contopomi and stop him <laughs> yeah. from being a one-man team. It's entirely down to him. So he's the guy who was standing there watching Lucas Amorosino go the length and go, yeah, do that. Yeah, that's that it. He saw that in the training and like, yeah, that'll work. You should try yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't. I did not know that was him. Right. Mm. Okay. I wasn't actually familiar with him before watching this game. So Diego Cuesta Silva yes. partners him in the midfield, who was, was quite good. I actually, I liked the look of him. And then Sebastian Salvat at fullback, who yes. was brought through as this young outside half mm. and they were saying you know if he came through at any other time he'd have the 10 jersey but he's just come through towards the end of Hugo Porter's career so that they kind of tipped him as the next big thing but they had to get him in the team so they gave him the 15 jersey instead he goes on to captain Argentina at the 1995 World Cup makes sense makes sense he you could tell he was talented yeah. uh, looking at this game he was he was the player I enjoyed most I think he's game. the first fullback we've seen in this tournament who's not dropped any balls like at all really he's a proper he body on the line fullback yeah I really enjoyed yeah him. He, yeah he was good at every given opportunity will dive on the ball yes like, there's yeah a few yeah times where he's got no hope of getting to it or he's under no pressure there's no one near him and he will still dramatically dive on the ball yeah because yeah. he's so desperate to put his body on the line yeah. i really enjoyed sebastian yeah Salah. yeah he was good i'm surprised he was good. to find out he was a fly half because he felt like an out and out fullback yeah i get that i get that yeah there's the the one other player from the argentine squad that i want to talk about mm. is jorge Ajen. 
yes. as the commentator once referred to him as. Just to point out that that's his Argentine pronunciation of his name. But he was just going to call him George Allen for the rest of the game yeah. because he is of English parentage, but was born in Argentina. So that's that's how he was genuinely qualified for Argentina. It wasn't another bloody Ray Nelson gate. What is it with the surname Allen and qualifying for right? nations? I thought with this. Tommaso Allen. Yeah. I discovered actually, when I was looking at something around this game, I discovered this today. I didn't know Tommaso Allen's mother. Do you know about Tommaso Allen's mother? No. She was the first ever captain of the Italian women's team. Really? Rugby, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I never knew that. I didn't know that. But yeah, so there's a huge link there. And actually, it's relevant to Gustavo Milano, who, right. the Argentine second row, Yeah. Uh, who comes off in the second half. But he, he not only comes off for Argentina, he left Argentina permanently to go and play in Italy. And he oh. went on to win one cap for Italy in 1990 against the Soviet Union. Oh, wow. This sounds like a glittering international career well, he had. He came off the bench again for that team, where he replaced Roberto Ferraro, the father of Simone. Oh, really? Yep. Wow, that's that's a hell of a story for extreme rugby nerds. Yep. Yeah. What a what a what a tale that is. I enjoy looking through the teams of that game as well. Yeah. Because some of the Soviet Union teams they clearly don't have to have information on, but it just lists them by surname. Oh. So I'm looking for the team, right? Like their, gonna, like their back line is David Zogagadja, Vlad Zavafora, then just Date Love. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know Date Love, you know, one of the all time iconic rugby players. Um, one of the greatest Andrei players Gamaskin, in the whole of Russia. Igor Zumazin, Yuri Nayalev, Moskakov, Barizov as well. They're just yeah. one, one word names. I like so these iconic. guys. Anyway, enough about the 1990 Russian team. Uh, should we look at the uh, the Fijian team from the match we're covering today? If we have to, we'll start with start with the pack. Mm. Front row, no one cares. But they're they're captained by Rakoroi in the second row. Mm. Then they have some really athletic kind of back five players yeah. in Savai, Hale, Mkolo, and Sande, who's no, of no relation to Emily Sande because it's spelled differently. But. Uh, th- they all played like backs, and I enjoyed a lot of them. But, yeah. okay, I will mention Kerwin Sandai, who is the nephew of Sandai. You mentioned no relation. Yeah. I would leave this be, but he went on to win one cat for Fiji. Oh, okay. At Tighthead. Nice. Uh, which makes him one of the very rare players who moves down the team sheet. Yes. We always have this thing, this feeling yeah. that players, you know, who, whose father played rugby to a high standard... They always end up playing like a higher number in the team. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. All the same, you know. Yeah. Uh, apart from some fullbacks, some backs move into 10. Yes. But like all yeah, like forwards, Adam Hastings. Yeah. Or uh, Robin Underback. Yeah. All forward sons go on to play a higher number yeah. than their parents did. Yeah. It's really weird. Like Cooley Falatau, second row. His sons yeah. are number eight. Like both Keith Wood and Mario Ledesma have kids who are tens, and that's weird. Yeah. It just it constantly happens. It happens with yeah. every example. The one the that's name. the other way around is that Mako and Billy Vanapola's dad was a ten. Yes, which always surprised me. Yeah, but clearly take after their mum. Then you have Marnie Vanapola as well. Who of course, out of that side. Yeah, that's true. He's representing the backs for that family. But speaking of John Sanday, I just want to take a moment to talk about John Sanday. Right? Okay, because I opened his Wikipedia page, and it's very interesting. Okay. So, John Sanday, right, do you want to hear the part of his Wikipedia page on his rugby career? Go on. John Sanday is a former Fijian Rugby Union player who plays as a lock and number eight. <laughs> his only international caps were in the 1907 World Cup where he played two matches against Argentina and New Zealand. 
That is the extent of the information on his rugby career. However, there are another three sections. Right. There's a very long section on his personal life. Okay. He talks in detail about his four children, two girls and two boys, what they went on to do, his wife, his nephew. All of that comes up. He's the director of the Malaysian Trustee Services LTD, where he's a merchant banker with over 40 years experience in the industry and several venues in Papua New Guinea, Australia and Fiji and runs a business consultancy company, providing consultancy in the resource sectors and many fisheries, mining, oil and gas fields and landowner groups, right? But then there's another section on his Wikipedia page called Future. (laughs) And now... We've been a big fan on this podcast of anyone who very clearly edits their own Wikipedia page. Yeah. And John Sunday very clearly edits his own Wikipedia Okay, page. okay. Hit me. Because he added this section. All right. That has never been edited by anyone. <laughs> okay. okay. John has various upcoming <laughs> new products as well as new companies. He's put the wrong possibly in the wrong place on companies, but that's fine. John is soon to release his new Cava Chews, brackets ten dollars each product around the world in early May or late April. No idea which month. Which year. <laughs> also coming to the world his Cava drink and lollipop, which is said to relax the body and relieve stress. Can you please check when that was edited? When that was last edited? This is hold on. This has already been pre ordered. Brackets sold out. (laughs) John is also busy trying to grow his company, which is estimated by the end of this year will be worth around 800 million kinder, which is converted to 250 million US dollars. Oh my God. He's a baller. uh, Cash rolls everything around him. John is undergoing his carver farm with already 134 acres planted ready for harvest. Wow. That's... That is the end of the future section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can you check when that was last edited? So what uh, year he's referring to? It was last edited in May 2020. Okay. But that was only the replacement of the dates in his rugby biography. Okay, okay. So it looks like 2019 there were three edits and there were right. lots of edits in 2018. Okay. So, in theory, he should be like a hundreds of millionaire by now uh, so the with last his carver time, farm. Last time content was added was 2018. Okay, okay. So, I believe that is where he's up to. His carver farm, his carver shoes, which are $10 each. Well, I, um, I, want to, I want to pull you up on the whole Wikipedia thing here because mm. I've got an update that I was meaning to bring up on this podcast and I think that's the perfect segue. Okay. I've gone onto Lee Mears' uh, Wikipedia page. Okay. And uh, there's a section on his personal life which reads as sure. following. Since retiring from rugby, Mears has been known to be a well-renowned crisp salesman. Uh, he's known to sell crisps at 11p per unit, striking a good balance between <laughs> his rugby life and his business life. And it's like, sure, somebody, somebody, somebody... Uh, is either somebody has listened to the podcast and done that, or I've done it when I'm pissed. I don't know which one it is. They're both probably equally likely. Uh, however, there is an extension to this. Although okay. it's a recent dinner at Bahrain Rugby Club, brackets 100 legend, Friday the 26th of November 2021, Lee Mears disputed this figure. <laughs> so Lee Mears is aware of the fact that he he sells crisps at 11p per unit. And he's denied it outright. <laughs> There's so much to unpack here. So, (laughs) 
one because I panicked in the moment and said the leave me yourselves crisps once. <laughs> yeah. That's now coming up on the after dinner circuit. Okay. But the best moment is Someone there was clearly interviewing Lee Mith or asking them questions <laughs> yes! for dinner. And he pulled up his Wikipedia page and went, hold on, does he sell crisps now? And then he probably said, okay, so talk to us about the privilege of playing for the British and Irish Lions. How was that? And it's like, so since retirement, you started selling crisps. And he goes, what? At 11p per year. So it's a dream. You sell crisps for 11 pence. It's like, no, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I like the thought of the interview of bringing that up really smoothly and saying, like, so, uh, obviously now you sell crisps. <laughs> and he had to go, what? <laughs> no, I'm currently wearing my rugby player jersey shirt. <laughs> I haven't stripped into the crisp sales in Lee Mears yet. So Lee Mears oh. is aware of, of this bit. <laughs> He must have gone home to his wife and said, like, they asked me if I sell crisps. Why would I sell crisps now? <laughs> and then the interviewer went home red-faced and went, I just need to edit this Wikipedia page in case anyone makes the same Wait, mistake. He, he disputed it. He disputed that he sells yeah. crisps. It doesn't happen. Somebody's <laughs> lied. Somebody has lied. He disputed that he sells crisps. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. That's very, very good. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing else in his uh, Wikipedia page. There's nothing on futures. It does say, however, that Lee Mears holds two world records for the Mm -hmm. fact that he's played rugby at both the North Pole and at Mount Everest. I knew he played rugby at the North Pole. That's that's pretty um, impressive. That game was refereed by someone like Kieran Bracken or some random... (laughs) I thought you were going to say Kieran Knightley. It was refereed by Kira Knightley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a really, really impressive feat by her. Like, one of her greatest performances to date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really I mean, believe that she was a rugby referee. Yeah, yeah. And not like an expert footballer. Like no, exactly. Bennett, like which Beckham. we know she is. Which know yeah, she is. yeah, yeah. Uh, that film is real. Um, <laughs> it is real. I thought you said um, it's real, like it's set in real. It is set in real. It yeah, is. yeah. I miss hearing you yeah. a lot, but I'm hearing the right things regardless. I'm hearing things that are correct that you're saying by accident. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Should we go back to the Fiji team? We could, Because yeah. their three-quarter line is unbelievable. That They've got Tomasi Tharma Sr., which yes. is, like, pretty unbelievable. He doesn't really see much ball in this game, but obviously legend of both 15s and 7s and father of 
one of the greatest and, all black sevens players of all time. Yeah, as I say, and, father of another all time great sevens player. Yeah, and there's another significant family connection in this team. Mm. As on the right wing, there is one Cavacchini Nalanga, father of Napoleone. Napoleone mm-hmm. at this time was one year old. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and his dad was scoring in World Cups. And at fullback, they had a wonderful player called Savaro Corradua, who was nicknamed Super Boot because yes. he was the one player in Fiji who knew how to kick a ball. And boy, did he know how to kick a ball! He was he was an impressive Can human. Was Corradua? Just go back to Nalanga a moment. Yes, because the Nalangas became the first father and son pair to both score in a Rugby World Cup. Oh, really? Yeah, first to ever do it. That's and I believe they might have been the stuff. first pair to do it as well. Wow. Because there was a there was an article by the Rugby World Cup itself that said 2015 was the first time there's been father and son. Like, sons whose fathers played in the Rugby World Cup. Right. But okay. that's not true, because Nalanga played in 2011. Uh, Napoleon yeah. played in 2011. Yeah. And his father was played in 87. So Eat I believe world rugby. they're the first to ever score and pos- probably the first to ever play in the rugby That's world a cup. super as far impressive as I could tell, statistic. I tried to look it up, but yeah, that's yeah. as far as I could tell, they're the yeah. first to play. Definitely I, wonder, score. I wonder where one-year-old Napoleone was watching this game. I wonder if he was at the ground or if it was, you know... Uh, he was actually leading the revolution in Fiji. <laughs> he was, he was, was he? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be disputed at a club dinner in yeah. a few years' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kid's going to go far. Yeah, he's yeah. Langer is still playing, by the way. Yes, he's 35. Yep, he has this year just left the Olympia Lions to go and play semi-pro in Fiji. Oh, nice. Good for him. Fijian running champions. Good for him. He's never going to retire, is he? No. And fair play to him. He's, he's an absolutely unreal player. But to move back to Superboot himself. Yes. Kodajua, yeah, who is, as you say, a very impressive figure. Yeah, uh, he was massive for a fullback at the time. Yeah, like at the time. Well, he, he was part like of the Suva police force, and he still is. He still is. is. He he re- yeah. He received a medal on behalf from the Fijian government three years ago. For oh my god! Both rugby and the police. What a guy! Yep, that's incredible. I didn't didn't even realize that he's still a policeman officer. Yeah, nobody's doing any crime out in Suva, no. are they? Why not with you? not with Superboot on patrol. Should we move on to the game itself then? Yeah, we should probably start. Shouldn't we? We've made a habit of waiting till we're half an hour into the podcast before we start talking about the game. But you know what? <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Look, we've got to get through the teams, and there's a lot of in- there's a lot of players worth introducing this time around. Yes, as well, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of kind of yeah, a lot of oh, interesting points. Go final on. Final point as well. Juan Lanza, who is on the left wing for Argentina. Yeah, his identical brother Pedro is on the bench. Oh, I did. I did notice that there was a double in names. Identical twin. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So they would go on. He goes on to play in the rest of the tournament. He doesn't get on in this game. Right. Okay. The first pair of twins to ever play in a Rugby World Cup. That's and that's good. Possibly the first brothers, but I think you had. The You'd imagine six six days in. Yeah. Yeah. Hastings both play for Scotland. I can't remember if Scott Hastings played in that game. But regardless, impressive thing. There's yes. A final like family. Con- there's a lot of family connections. A lot of first. Yeah. Yeah. Game. Yeah. It's why it's a retrospective podcast, man. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, so the game kicks off. There's, ge- it's generally quite a scrappy start to the game, isn't it? Fiji kind yeah. of struggle to get hold of the ball. They get penalised quite a lot. Well, the scrums are complete one-way traffic with Argentina walking all over them. Very start of the game kind of tells us how we think things are going to go on. So Argentina wins some line-out ball and they shuffle it right along. They do some nice stuff. The 13 has a nice little run and then drops it. 
and like I think Diego Costa Silva, that is a class player there. He's he's he quite has... good to be fair. He's like quietly quite skillful. I think those two to say Hugo Porter and we'll get onto this might as well not have hands in this game. Yeah, like he is just booting everything he gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever he does get to the two centers to Tunez and Cuesta Silva, those are those are two little silkworms in the centers, <laughs> two little silkworms in midfield. Sure, and both of them are like deceptively incredibly skillful, and they have yeah. that like very Argentine balance about them. Sure, they have their and moments, don't they? Because they're they're both quite up and down throughout the game. None of them really lead to anything, but when the two of them can catch the ball and have a tiny bit of space, sure, yeah, they're both really dangerous and really skillful. Yeah, players. yeah, and I enjoyed watching them, even if I wouldn't necessarily want them in my team. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Cuesta Silva has a little run. Uh, he drops the ball then afterwards, and what I, I so I didn't know the score going into this game. I didn't no, me neither. Me neither. Upset. And I thought this was going to be the story of the game. So Argentina knock it on. And then from the scrum, they drive Fiji right back off the ball. And I enjoyed the thing about them not having a hooker because they don't bother hooking. which is No, 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 no. They just walk on. They pretty much stamp on the ball and pop it. They just, they're so powerful. They drive over the ball. No one bothers hooking it back. Yeah. And they drive right to number eight's feet. They send it out. Right to Hugo Porter, who attempts a drop goal from 45 metres. Yeah. And it's very wide. I thought the story of the game was going to be Argentina are going to walk all over them and Porter's going to drop goals from everywhere. Yeah. And it turns out I was half right in that the story of the game is going to be Hugo Porter missing. Yeah, yeah. It does make you think, because you see a lot of highlights of people nailing really like speculative drop goals from mm. like the 80s and 90s. But watching this back, it makes you realise, because people were attempting them every three seconds, that yeah. some of them are going to stick. Especially when you've got a kicker like Hugo Porter, who yeah. has a big boot, is incredibly accurate. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, we'll run through this, but Hugo Porter has one of the most, one of the, you know, if you look back over his get over his career, this is probably one of the games he's most desperate to forget. Yeah, yeah. This, you know, we we will have both having grown up long after Hugo Porter's time, mm. we will have both watched highlights package have been playing well, before and stuff like that, and we both recognise that he's a lot better than what we get on here, right? Yeah, not that long after Hugo Porter's time. Because obviously, he, so he, he announced his retirement to retire after this World Cup. He was 36 at this World Cup. Yeah. He then comes out of retirement three years after this, when Argentina have an injury crisis at 10, plays three more games in 1990, right. fly half, yeah. have not played rugby in three years. Because <laughs> he was desperation. off Sergio standard. Yeah, yeah. He then comes out of retirement again. The 2 CP to for the Argentina 15 in an invitational right. tournament in 1999. I think just because he fancied it and it was bored. Right, okay. But this was like, he was like Argentina's sports minister at the time. He was like, he went on to be like a government figure and he came out retirement for one game for Argentina A. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm pretty sure, because like, I've just checked, he's 70 now. I'm pretty mm. sure in the time that we've been watching the Bermuda Classic, he has at some point played in it. Yeah, I mean, as I say, he was still playing to a reasonably high standard when he was 49. Yeah, yeah. Which is seriously impressive. But yeah. but yeah, this wasn't his finest day from the boot or out of hand no. for Hugo Porter. But yeah, so there's he does look quite one dimensional in this game. And he does actually put in some really clever kicks. Yeah, he does. Even he though does. they're quite easy to predict. Like he does find grass the majority of the time. And he's playing against a really strong back three. So mm. there's a lot to be said for Porter in this game. And also he's playing alongside halfback Fabio Gomez, who mm. is just infuriating to watch because he's like the world's earliest most argentine edition of gareth davis 
that <laughs> every yes. opportunity he will try and dummy and go himself. It's like, mate, you're the scrum half. It's your job to pass the ball. And that there's a really just infuriating point early on where Porter has a 1v0 on the blind side and oh, Gomez yeah. spots it and tries to dummy around the uh, his opposite number, the Fijian halfback, Tabalutu, and obviously just gets scragged because there was no way he was ever going to fall for the dummy. And you could just tell it was just selfish on Gomez's part when Porter probably would have had a decent run down the wing there and made an opportunity yeah. and it's just... It's annoying to watch. The commentator towards the end, after he does a little... He has a lovely little pick and go. He goes from the middle and knocks it on. Yeah. As was the once back then. Yeah. Describes him as an all-or-nothing player who's either the best or worst player on the pitch every game. Right, And okay. you get that vibe out of him. Yeah, yeah. So Hugo Porter's first kick at goal, mm. as you say, is one to forget. He, uh, th- what I've written down here is he kicks it like me. No, that's his second kick. His second kick. Second ki- oh, yeah, 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 of course. His he, second kick. So he... He misses a drop goal. Yeah. He then has a penalty from a similar range, forty-five meters on the other side of the yeah. field. Misses that, and that is quite narrow. That is like that one looks like it could go over. Sure. It doesn't. Yeah. And at this point, Argentina feel pretty, I'd imagine, justified in their tactics. Yeah, right? they should so, be ahead by some way. I think I said on the episode about Japan v the USA. Mm-hmm. that Japan had the clearest game plan of any team we've seen so far. I think Argentina overtaken them. Yes, agreed. Because agreed. for the first half an hour, you know exactly what they're doing every time they get the ball. Yeah, yeah. It's incredibly forward-dominated, and Hugo Porter is absolutely leveraging. Trying to play in the right parts of the park, yeah. isn't he? And like the backs actually look set to chase the kicks. It looks like he's yes. actually intended and has been discussed, rather than just Porter going, oh yeah, I want a kick now, like all the other and tens there is the some variation to it. They do a really nice chip at one point in the first half the silvery gathers then drops yeah yeah and it, you know it's there there is stuff that's working and it's quite a smart game plan yeah yeah basically gone, certainly by the standard of this world cup yeah hugo we want you to absolutely <laughs> lever everything yeah and he says when they interview him post-match and he seems to have just got out of the shower did you watch this yes i did i did yeah he hugo was steaming not like wet, drunk steaming but, yeah and has a towel around his neck yeah topless and they interview him, and he kind of say, and he kind of has like an incredibly nasal voice, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and he says words to the effect of, "Yeah, we thought we could just like kick the lever off the ball, and we'd win." Yeah, yeah. And he, they were very surprised by how badly that went. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird because like there's parts of this where I think like Argentina probably should have won this game. Oh, the with the platform they have, they should win. Yeah, exactly. To say they are, I think it's like the seventh scrum is the first one Fiji win. Yeah. Yeah, even and, like they're losing all the scrims on their own ball, and yeah. Argentina are marching them from there. Yeah, uh, and I mean, like we'll get onto it later, but Argentina scores try in the second half from a Fiji put in at the scrum, yes. where they actually march them backwards off their own ball, and then yeah. march them back another ten meters and yeah. score. Yeah, uh, it's that level of dominance. Sure, it's yeah. the most dominant scrum we've seen at this World Cup, or after the World Cup we covered. I think it's yeah. the most dominant any scrum has been. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, but yeah, no. So Porter gets the shot at goal. And doesn't get it off the floor. It's like yeah. it's an embarrassingly bad kick from just an all-time great fly half. But like the commentators are saying, like, is it the ball? Is it you know the turf? What is it? Like are the kickers just having bad days? Because it's obviously a theme throughout this World Cup, which does give me some hope that there's there's a reason why people are still going for goal in these speculative yeah. angles. When realistically, from what we can tell, they're never going to get it. So maybe you know, it's much like 2011, where we had that context of knowing how good the kickers were but they were all missing them anyway, like Johnny Wilkinson in that Argentina game yeah. at the start of the 2011 World Cup. But then, Fiji it's get a penalty. just before the one he skags. 
But yeah, did you get a penalty? Yes. Inside their own heart, like ten meters inside their own yes. heart. Yes. And something absolutely mad happens that made me like wheel back my chair. Yeah. <laughs> so one super boot steps up. Our friend Severo Coladuadua steps up and he points at the post, and the referee goes like, "Oh, good one, mate." <laughs> yeah. And like he genuinely does like kind of like giggle, like it's Jim F- Jim Fleming MBE is the referee, mm. and it kind of like looks at him and is like, "Are you sure you want to go for the post?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm serious." And like starts digging into the turf with his heel, puts the ball down, and yeah, goes for goal from 59 meters out, and takes two steps back and strikes the ball. And you know what? To say it's a leather ball in 1987 from an amateur player kicking it from 59 metres. And I've never seen, without wanting to generalise, Fijians aren't known for having long-range kickers. No, 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 no. Yeah, I think it's an entirely fair observation. Argentina and South Africa are. Argentina and South Africa have always produced really long-range kickers. Yeah. Fiji, less so. Yeah. And yet, and it's just wide the post, and it comes down about five metres short. Yeah. It's a pretty bloody good attempt. It's a good effort. And uh, you know what? I really, really liked it and going for that. It's the first penalty yeah. of the World Cup. Just that whole statement of intent thing, going like, I'm going to kick this from everywhere. If you give away penalties, I'm going to try do my best to punish you. And watching those first 10 minutes leading into that, I was getting vibes of, you know, anyone familiar with this podcast and, this, and the channel in general will know that Fiji v Namibia is regarded as one of the all-time classics of rugby. It is, it is. You know, it is All Blacks Wallabies 2000 Yeah, on in our book. Yes. I was getting vibes of that for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And Argentina I, was I so thought of that at one point. Fiji were just chucking everything around. And then suddenly, bloody... I did get Tynes Kotzer vibes from Super Yeah, Beach. exactly. I was about to say, but then suddenly Tynes Kotzer turns up playing for Fiji. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Hold yeah. on. They've both got Tynes Kotzer. I also loved it because one of the most well-regarded fly halves in world rugby had just missed a very gettable yeah. penalty. And then this Fijian lad just steps up and says, yeah, I'm just going to kick this over from 60 metres just to rub it in. And but I just I just thought that was fun. Where I think it's after one of Porter's misses, where he, as in like his, the lady's cheating with, no, yeah. um, where Dua thumps the ball back from inside his own 22 and he kicks it out of touch and it hits about halfway and the crowd let out this incredible noise like oh I can't believe what we just the crowd seen. love him this bloody super boot he's yeah. here uh, also I love the crowd erupting into laughter when he opts for goal on that one yes. just like is this guy serious he's going for bloody goal super boot yeah Apparently I love Superboot. had kicked a goal from around that range at that ground right. three years earlier okay and the commentators talked about that as like I couldn't believe my eyes. They talked about like it was a, one of Jesus' miracles. <laughs> like he'd cause a lame man to walk. I, I, at this point, about 10 minutes into this game, I nearly texted you saying, I just love Superboot <laughs> as a character. <laughs> and the, the commentators just at one point gave up on saying his name and just yeah. called him Superboot instead. And I just I just find him fun as a character, as this Fijian fullback. And it, he sounds like one of those players that you you would never like that played before the televised like like Arthur Gold who like yeah, yeah, allegedly yeah. wants back heel to drop goal or did an yes. overhead one or something like that there's there's a load of like stories that nobody knows if they're real about Arthur Gold Superboot reminds me of that vibe can i give you a fun fact about superboot yes superboot holds the all-time fijian record for most conversions in a match okay. and i wonder if this is bettered by any there can't be more than like four players that have done this. 
Uh, he scored 18 conversions Jesus. in one game against New New Ireland. New um, Ireland? Yep. Is that a thing? No, New, like New, the Oh, I thought you meant like New England. Now, this is the incredible thing, right? The final score was Fiji 120, New 4, right? Right. But the score sheet has New Ireland down as not having scored any tries, conversions, or penalties. Was there an own try at hand? I guess so. Maybe Superboot kicked it so hard. Kicked two conversions through his own posts. Yeah, he kicked he kicked one conversion so hard it went right around the world and came back through his own posts. So it counted. Yeah, that sounds like him. That sounds like him. That's that's an interesting interesting stat you got there. I, I'm I'm here for the hot Superboot facts. He also scored ten conversions in one game against Belgium in 1989. Oh wow, that that man loves a conversion. Clearly, I also huge huge fan. Of the fact that Superboot kicks five drop goals in his career. Oh wow! I want to track them down. Yeah, Ruddy Data, yeah. Go and make a Superboot compilation. <laughs> yeah, Ruddy. Please, 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 Ruddy. So yeah, then he he's at it again. He goes for another mm. one for forty-five meters again. Narrowly misses, but he is past the crossbar at this point. He's just yes. wide. He has the distance, and then pretty much result from the resulting line out of there. Fiji Fiji get an opportunity. Argentina go for a clearance. It's Gomez himself tries to clear the ball. And if you've got Hugo Porter on your team, let him do the kicking. Especially in 1987 before box kicking was popularised. But no, because he has to step out of two tackles and he just randomly thumps it. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. I don't think he wants to take the kicking on himself, but he's always left no choice. Yeah, but either way, he's, he's charged down by Diego Cash, isn't it? Mm. No, that is Hugo Porter. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the first one. The 12 tries to clear it. Right. Uh, Fiji then get downfield. Argentina turn the ball over or they knock it on. Okay. And then from there, so Hugo Porter. Porter. And right. when I watched the replay, at first I thought he was just a charge down. Then when you watch it back, when you watch the thing again, Porter does just kick it into Cash's head. Oh, does he? Does he? He just kicks it straight right. into Cash. I think it's not even his head. It's like it's sort of like area just around his shoulder just before it blow his throat. Right, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, I didn't, didn't even clock He that. kicks it very low, like Sam Davis uh, style. Okay, okay. So yeah, Cash gets a run with the ball, throws a nice little dummy, and then pops... Wait, no, Cash is the hook for Argentina. What am I on about? Naivuzara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Naivuzara. yeah. The Fijian hooker. Oh my God, I've had a right blunder there. Yeah, anyway. He gets the ball. I've went for it as well. I also called him Yeah, 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 yeah. So he throws a dummy. And then throws a nice little pop pass back on the inside. No, it's Wale who scores the try for mm. Fiji, the blindside flanker. Who I don't know if it's just because he's fast and calls Penthili, but I just constantly kept thinking he's like some distant relate- relative of Penthili Yato. The moment I found out he was called Penthili, it suddenly made sense to me. Yes. I was like, oh, okay, they've always got to have, at any one time, a really quick flanker called Panthilly. Yeah, yeah. He was fun. He was fun. Because yeah, he barely. I enjoyed he him. didn't play like a flanker, but more just like one of those players who would just roam around and just try and do everything, uh, mm. especially in defence. And I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him a lot. But yeah, so Fiji went Very reminiscent of Miyamoto for Japan yes. in a couple of games ago. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy him. I enjoy him lots. But yeah, Fiji went 6 0 up. Mm. And then suddenly, straight from the kickoff, just start offloading absolutely everything. And they yeah. really had like their tails wagging at this point. Yeah, they, they really, really suddenly become Fijian. Yeah. And the commentators mentioned that, that this is a thing that apparently happens that Fiji, once they get a bit of confidence, once they get ahead, they tend to just really double down on it. Yeah, yeah. And even when offloads weren't on, they were still throwing them. Other than Superboot, who were still trying to kick everything. 
Bloody Superman. <laughs> <laughs> the other 14 of them were like, no, 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 let's offload absolutely everything. And he's like, no, we want to play in their half. It's like, no, Super Boot, we want to offload everything. I don't care if we lose the ball. <laughs> they do shortly after this as well. Argentina look like they're starting to get back into this once they start knocking it on Fiji from their countless offloads. Yeah. And Argentina actually get a penalty from a scrum, which feels rare. Mm. Porter misses again. He also misses another drop goal in this period. Yeah. Which brings it up to four misses now, two penalties, two drop goals. And then, wouldn't you know it, Fiji get a bit downfield. They get just into the opposition half and they're given a penalty. And who should step up but the one, the only, Cora Dua Dua. Yeah. Good old bloody super <laughs> I love him. And he nails it. Nine nails nil it. to Fiji. Yeah. And at this point, you think, how the hell are Argentina not in this game? The, oh, we should mention totally dominating well. set piece. Yeah, Argentina oh, yes. have just won a penalty. At which point, Jorge Allen, yeah, just shoves one of the Fijians, just yeah. kind of barges them off the ball in order to get it. And the referee goes, "No, you're a dickhead. I'm penalising yeah. you." He was a proper penalty machine. Was was Alan yes. or Ahen or however you want to pronounce it? He was. He was Could just. We also, yeah, have a moment to talk about Jim Fleming, the Scottish referee. Yes. There's no ref mic, but you can hear every decision he made. Yeah, yeah. So is he screaming them all? He must be, he must be. I also like how he turned up in full Scotland kit instead of the referee's kit that everyone else has been wearing so far in the World Cup. <laughs> because that was a big thing. They made a deal out that this is the first time they had a referee's kit for this World Cup. Yeah. Before this, you just wore your National Union's kit. And clearly he went... Didn't get the memo. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not having that. This is my chance to represent my country. My first, before I even start watching this game, I checked to see if he's any relation to James Fleming, the Scotland Sevens player. Sadly, he is not. No. Good story. Is he related to anyone else called Fleming? Not that good. Well, yes, presumably. But not. Yeah, his dad is presumably called Fleming. Or maybe his mum. Who knows? But no, no relation there. Anyway, so yeah, you wonder why Argentina aren't in this game. Mm. And then suddenly, Fiji have an injury. Tabulutu is carried off injured and I find this particularly interesting he, because there aren't medics carrying him off it's just his back line start carrying him yeah, off two of his own players carry him off so Tomasi Farmer's like yeah yeah Tomasi Farmer's senior and super boot <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he's got more than just his boot but do you notice do you notice where they put him down just they just dump him on the touchline they sit him the next to the world cup Really? Yes. The World Cup is stood on the sideline oh. and they just put their scrum off there to just look at it. And they, they have him facing it. away from he the pitch looking at the World Cup. Is it, it would be a good gambit, actually. Pretend your scrum half is injured yeah. uh, if he's quite nippy and then just put him next to the World Cup strategically. No one's looking at him. Nicks it. Goes off with it. He's not really he injured. He can run. Yeah. The, the pick was the dog gambit. Just steal the World Cup. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> We find it in a hedge in Fiji in a few weeks' time. Yeah, exactly. And hey, if they try and take it, we've got their top policeman. Yeah. Oh, man. He can arrest anyone trying to steal it. Exactly. Because there's no one in... Can you imagine, like... Can you imagine, right? Set the scene, right? You are in Fiji. You have just committed a crime, (laughs) okay? You have committed a big crime. Uh, What crime have you just committed? Uh, Arson. You've committed arson. Uh, you have burnt down the the chapel. The very no, you have burnt down the the very profitable cavachu fields of oh, John yes, Sande. Of course, I have. Because you were very jealous. <laughs> Sorry, I confused that with the chapel okay. quite a lot. There, there's there is there is, but people are people are after you. People are after 
There's yeah, a warrant yeah, yeah. out for you, okay? Yeah. People are looking for you. There is a hunt. You're hiding at home. You think you're safe. Yeah. At which point, you hear a knock on the door. It's the Fijian police. They call. Thank you. Good Foley. Good, good Bernard. There's a knock on the door. It's the Fijian police. You think, it's fine. I've got the most reinforced door in all of Fiji. <laughs> which but... I specifically requested. Yeah. From Daniel but... Carpo, who makes furniture. <laughs> but... Wouldn't you know it? The member of the Fijian police force sent out to track you down is Severa Korodua Dua. And so, when he goes to kick down that door, it flies straight off the hinges into your face, knocks you out in one go. You are arrested for arson and stealing the World Cup because you're a scrum off and that's what you all do. And he kicks my ass and um, it dies. At, like... That is the most useful man in all of Fiji. You'd want to kick down a door and yeah. trying to find someone. Yeah, he has a golden it's boot. Perfect. Yeah, he's he is super boot. He has the super boot, <laughs> the super boot of super boot. I'm aware we're going on about him a lot, but he's he's very very involved both he's in this game boot. and in the Fijian police force. Like yes. it, 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 it takes some medal. talking about. Yeah, he got a medal for being the best Fijian police forceman. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That really really takes some doing. Um, he was awarded a medal for on 50's, Fiji's 50th anniversary of its independence. Oh, really? He was one of the 32 citizens selected to get a medal. Oh, what a guy. What a guy. I do think as well, if they did steal the World Cup, Fiji care that much about rugby that they probably would write it into their laws that if anyone tried to steal it back, that was punishable by death. Yes. <laughs> uh, he also, uh, I want to mention more superboot facts, played for 10 years for the Fijian Police Forces team. Oh, really? They have a rugby team. And can you imagine them in the... the I bet they were unreal. Because the hooker as well for Fiji also was a policeman officer. Right. Uh, neither were the master. Right. Now, we'll get on to I've got another thing about him when we'll okay. go through the rest of the thing. But yeah. Yes. Okay, so we'll carry on Carry on with the game, shall we? Mm. There's a, Oh, the first point where Nalanga gets the ball and, my God, he can shift. You just suddenly see a burst of acceleration. Like, he gets tackled, but you suddenly mm. go like, oh, okay, I can see the genes that have, uh, that have transferred down here. Porter misses another drop goal and goes naught from four. Yep. It's really not a good day for him, is it? Bless him. Bless him. And then Fiji get downfield and they really do look quite dominant in anything that's not a scrum at this point. And they, they score another try uh, as they get downfield. It is set up by our friend Sande, who has a nice little bit of a run and sort of a, a sort of pop up yeah. pop off the floor. It's slightly sort of intruded. But yeah. a Fijian player drives over. We can't really see who it is. I think it's, it's Savai Angora, the lock. I'm pretty sure. Is I it? it was... Right. Angora takes it. Angora takes it and then offloads it. Right. To, okay. I think it might be Savai. Who? Yeah, it's him or is maybe the winger. The, okay. The commentators say a few times we don't know who scored that. Yeah. Try, yeah. Which is just excellent work. I believe the try was awarded to Hooker to Navawawasa. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Which is a really difficult name. It is a difficult name. It. Yeah. Like it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be like that and to get it wrong. Yeah. it's one of those names I need to hear people say a few times sure. to get it into my head. Like you get used to the name Metusella Talambula, don't you? Whereas exactly. the first time yeah. I said it, I would have said it wrong. So yes, so I believe it's him who finishes it. That's who the it's a, on the official World Cup listing. He's who it's awarded to. Okay, but as I said, at the time they had no blood. No, clue. no. But yeah, no, it was it was you know a fairly decent try. Pretty poor defence from Argentina, if you're mm. completely honest. But it's a good run by Sande to set that up. 
not just not just good at business. He's also good at rugby. Yeah, uh, that's why he's in the national the team. Argentine centres have a few moments then towards the end of the first half where they combine and link up, and each yes. of them have a few little steps and runs. Yeah, and none of them come to anything, but they're they're enormous fun, and I enjoyed watching the two of them. Yeah, because they clearly understand each other and play off each other incredibly yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and again, like I think they had a good understanding of Porter and when he was going to kick and stuff. Like there's a couple of up and unders that they actually chase very well. And look, mm. luckily, uh, Carlo Duda is very good at the high ball yes. at, at moments in this game. And he does catch a couple of really difficult ones that Porter, where Porter puts him in a bit of a spot of bother. So, yeah, no, but you're right. Those centres did have a good understanding of each other when they would, when they start to tick. And speaking of understanding, yes. there's a moment in which the commentator says, well, obviously none of these Argentines can speak English, but I reckon a few of the Fijians could probably speak Spanish, so they might be able to crack their line-out codes. It's a very interesting line of commentary, that, isn't it? When he mm. starts speculating on which of the Fijians might or might not be able to speak Spanish. And I think it's safe to say none of the Argentines can speak Fijian. Yes. Which he then says. Yes. But he reckons none of them can speak English. No. When Hugo Porter obviously can speak English because he's done it repeatedly in press and oh, does yeah. it after the game. Oh, yeah. Didn't even think about that. But, I mean, he doesn't speak in Fijian, so he's got a valid point. Half a valid point. Yeah, fair enough. I really like how the half ends mm. because yes. the tired prop for Fiji, Naituku, gets the ball in open open field and it's probably the second or third time in the game he gets the ball and he's not the biggest yeah. prop, to be fair. Like he's, he's quite fast for his size or just for a prop generally, especially at this, at this age. Mm. And then, interestingly, he just wants to get on the act and kicks the ball. However, his kick goes horribly wrong and he barely gets any distance on it. And then luckily... As the ball crosses the touchline, which it only just does, he then mm. he then turns to the referee like, "Oh yeah, that's me trying to take half time. Is it half time?" And the referee blows up uh, for half time, and then he goes like, "Oh yeah, 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 that's what I was going for," which he clearly wasn't. <laughs> but when the kick went badly, he doubled yeah. down, and I respect it because we've all been there. It is what friend of the pod Tom Savage would refer to as a funt. It is. It is a proper funt. Yes. It's a classic thunk. Yeah. He is going for a chip or a kick for himself to chase, and instead he puts it into touch five metres in front of him. Yeah, yeah. But it's fine. He was deliberately trying to take half time because that seems to have been a good tactical play. <laughs> Wale is absolutely hyped when half time goes. He is jumping up and down, screaming and shouting in excitement at what their team have just done, yeah. going in ahead. Yeah. Which, again, as I said, they're 13 nil up. This was a huge upset. Argentina were massive yeah, favourites. Big half for Fiji. Huge half. Yeah. Huge half. But you look at it, you can see a way back for Argentina in the second half. You can. You absolutely so can. so dominant that you feel like they can quite easily score two yeah, tries. Yeah. It does, two reporting and nail 14 drop goals. It does feel slightly fluky, the two tries that Fiji did get. Mm. And you do have it the, the impression that Argentina have four or five tries in them. And they mentioned the... Romania game where Zimbabwe went in the lead in half time. Yeah. It, it, it very much could be the same story as that. And I think that I kind of expected it to be. Mm, yeah, I was expecting Argentina to come back into it quite a lot. Yeah. But pretty much the first chance Argentina get in the second half, they get a penalty from about 50 metres out. And Porter goes for goal, which is an mm. interesting interesting call. But but it's clearly they he had misses. a tactic that they thought was going to work. And I get it. Because Hugo yeah. Porter at the time is one of the best goal kickers in the world. Of course, of course. And I understand and, you know, like, they he, want to be on the board, don't they? But Yeah. And they're clearly going, well, Fiji are going to keep doing this because the discipline is not great. Yeah. Savai, and I'll, you know, I'll mention this later, but he apparently had a reputation as a penalty machine. Oh, okay. And 
they were very much banking on that. Oh, I did. He mentioned he got sent off in the game against he like, got Canterbury. He sent off against Australia, I think. Oh, oh okay. no, in a tour of Australia. Right. In a game, one of the warm-up games. Yeah. And he's that was when sending off were very, very rare. Of course. Uh, when people didn't play Wales. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. But yeah, Porter misses the shot goal. And Superboot just sends him back to his 22, man. Just goes, oh, I love that. And there's like, the crowd erupts at they him love him, the man. ball back. They love the fact that there's Virginian who just who's clearly played football growing up as well as rugby. But he boots the ball from his own twenty-two into the opposition twenty-two. Like not into touch. He just kicks it long. As happens all the time in modern rugby. Bounces before the twenty-two, bounces into the twenty-two. Yeah. And the crowd are like, oh my god, have you seen what he's just done? Yeah. Have you seen what bloody Superboot's just done? It's Superboot. Yeah. It's our favourite player of all time, Superboot. We love Superboot. We're gonna talk about Superboot forever. What a guy. We're going to continue to talk about him as well. I think every episode of the podcast will have a dedicated section to Superboot as well. So Fiji then, they they look a bit lost in the opposition 22 when they've got the ball, but they're kind of just going side to side a little bit. And then Mm. the most Fijian thing ever happens. Oh, mate, yeah. I mean, it is the stand up and take note moment of the whole game. Yeah, yeah. It is the standout moment. Yeah. It is the moment I kind of sat and were like, oh, gee, I think I just have... Uh, yeah, my yeah. notes just say Jesus and all caps. Mine says bloody hell. Yeah, that does it. That covers it. Also says that's ball... insanely Fijian. Yeah, the ball gets out to Kavakinki Nalanga on the wing. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> his his son did get the jeans from somewhere. Insane finish. Absolutely mad. He appears so to he's... be boxed in twice. Yeah, he looks outside. boxed in by Lanza, his opposite number, yeah. who is pretty much up in his face yeah. when he just kind of wriggles round him. And the commentator refers to it as like, oh, look at the power as he breaks out, mm. like his son would have done. And it's not even that. It's yeah. not that. He just steps around him and goes. Yeah. Like it's acceleration and a burst as, yeah. he, as he takes the ball. Yeah, no, he just goes on the outside and it's just, it's an, it's an insane finish. Mm. And yeah, he finishes it on the right touchline and... Guess what? Well, he's got the conversion is nailed. Well, Selvat's coming across as well, mm. and he instead of trying to step him or trying to beat him or riding anything or looking for support, he just goes on the outside, yeah. burns him, yeah, and yeah, scores in the corner. Really silky finish, and yeah, uh, it's it's one of those tries that it's really strange because you kind of only see those scored by players with Fijian blood in a, in a yes. strange way. It's, it sounds like an extreme stereotype. But you so so rare, well, so commonly no. see those tries scored by Fijians. You see them scored by Fijians and Argentines. That's true. That's true. That last step was kind of reminiscent of that Amorosina one against I did Scotland, have wasn't the it? Amorosina against Scotland in my head. Yeah, and you've obviously just mentioned it since as well. But that did go through my head as I was watching. Yeah, yeah. It's a real standout moment of individual yeah. skill. No, it was unbelievable. Rockwell Eula uh, takes the conversion as well for some reason. Oh, of course he did. It was because it was from the right hand side and he's left footer. So right, Fiji okay. had this thing for conversions that if it was from the right, he would take it. And if it was from the left, then Superboot, Superboot would right. take it. But yeah, so Fiji gets to a 19-0 lead before Hugo Porter makes the decision to go for three points, which he does get yeah. from a penalty in the Fijian 22. It's questionable, isn't it? Because mm. there's a part of me that thinks, well, teams should go for penalties more because four points for a try kind of isn't the correct proportion. Five, four mm. points for a try isn't enough sort of to justify turning down the three points shot goal. But then again, six points, you know, it's it's two penalties, isn't it? Um, yeah. So it really does depend on that. But yeah, it's an interesting one. 
but he does get he does get the conversion. He he does get Argentina on the board, which I think is very important at this stage. The so yeah, commentator at this point, the co-coms, the color commentators, they were referred to still at the time. Yeah, who spent the entire first half talking about how and the pre-game and the lead-in and the first part spends the gate the bit talking about how Argentina just needs to use the forwards and power game the Moffat and so on. Yeah. And around the time they kick this penalty he starts going, I keep saying Argentina just need to play through the hands. They just need to go through the hands. I've been saying this the whole time. I've been saying this. Argentina are mad for trying to play with the forwards. Why don't they use their backs and pass the ball more? Like, mate, you were you were saying the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. About ten minutes ago. And at this point, this sort of like middle twenty minutes of the second half, mm. the Argentine backline is shite. And I've written yeah. that down multiple times in my notes that they've that they really can't string a couple of passes together. Like the one point where I noticed uh, Turnes in the second half was when there's a point where he gets the ball, looks really composed on it, and he has a two on one and pass it into touch. Yes. Yeah. Should we talk about the moment of the Argentine backline being shit, or do you want to save that for Dick of the Day? I think we should save that back. We should save that back. Okay. For anybody wanting to see that passing to touch, it is on the video. It is one hour and six minutes in on the the World okay. Feed version. Just just because I've got that noted down. But yes, I think we saved back the moment that we were just talking talked about, which does immediately follow this point. But we'll come on to that. So not long after this, Fiji nearly scored the try of the tournament. And it's unbelievable. They start in their own 10 meter line. Nalanga makes a nice run, pops off the floor. Oh, yeah. And they just string together. All of these insane, proper, like, Leone Nakarawa one-handed basketball over-the-top passes until it ends up uh, on the left wing where Tuvula, who is the left wing for, F- for Fiji, has the ball in his hands. And suddenly, everyone realises they're knackered and don't want to keep up with him. <laughs> and he goes for the corner himself, correctly so, because they string out these amazing passes. Mm. And in fairness, Salvat puts in a brilliant tackle around so- his ankles. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I am such a fan of Sebastian Salvat. Yeah. And we kind of haven't talked about him that much. There's a moment just before this yeah. where Fiji stab for a kick for someone to chase and it goes far too long. And Salvat is under no pressure but dives on the ball to yes. secure it. I love that. And he's just, as I said before, he's such a body on the line. Yeah, he's just so all out. he does like the Rob Carney thing of diving through the air to regather a ball at yeah. one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one point Argentina try an accidental cross kick and he does a proper like lobs himself for it, regathers it, and then spins into touch because yeah. he can't quite keep it in. Yeah. I absolutely love this guy. Like, he is... Yes, Superboot is flashier, but Salva is such a... Like, he's the fullback I'd want in my team. Yeah. I'm excited to see him play against potentially Italy or somebody that Argentina might score yeah. a few tries past. I'm excited to see what he might be able to, to, to bring out of that team. I'm also really excited to know that we've got another two World Cups of him. Yeah, that's he's true. In the actually, Argentina team he's going to develop. I we'll see that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Actually, that is very exciting. That we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, Diego Cuesta Silva also remains in the Argentina team for quite a while. Okay, well. okay, interesting. He goes on to win sixty odd caps, which was a oh, lot. Oh wow, in this era. that's a, that's that's that is a lot. But yeah, so Fiji nearly scored his try of the tournament. Nobody supports Tavula on the wing, so he just kind of like aimlessly has to try and pop the ball up. He has no other option because he's getting turned right. over either way. And the ball gets just booted into touch by Argentina, one meter out from their goal line, which is notable because yes. after this incredible build-up, Fiji scored the world's most underwhelming try. It is the worst try of the Rugby World Cup so far, and bear in mind the first try was a penalty try. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's worse than that. I, I, I hate penalty tries. I know you do. I know you do. So yeah. So there. He then is. again, this try is dog shit. 
We've mentioned before, right? Obviously, no lifting in lineouts at the time. Argentina yeah. do get penalised in the first half for lifting out a lineout. <laughs> Did they? I, I missed which, that. Which I think is quite funny. Yeah. And they don't really lift anyone. I think someone just like leans on another player and then jumps. <laughs> jumps too high and gets penalised. Yeah. And they're penalised for lifting at the lineout. But then in the second half, obviously as well, they didn't bring scrums or lineouts back five metres. Yeah. Right? Very if significant an inch out from the line. The line-out takes place an inch out from the line. And this ball was put out an inch out from the line, so the line-out takes place an inch out from the line. And Fiji have kind of struggled at the line-out. Like, all set-piece Argentina have been dominant in. Yeah. They have won most of the line- a lot of the line-outs against the head, and they've won basically every scrum against the head. Yeah. This one, the hooker, uh, Noah Massa nails the throw into the middle. Like, it is a spot-on yeah. throw into the middle, straight into the arms of Itea Savea. The tactic is just throw it to the biggest guy yeah. one inch out from the try line. So they chuck it to Savai, who was a player for Waikato at the time, which is obviously where the game was taking place. Of course. So it was a really popular guy as well at the time. Yeah. He grabs the ball, plucks it out of the air, and falls over. Yeah. He scores the yeah. decisive try. Yeah. Yeah. And because the Argentines had the audacity to even look at the ball at any point, mm. that try became undefendable. Yeah. It was undefendable. All all he had to do to score it was win the line out. Yeah. There's not even like just fall over. the ball, bringing it down, taking it down. Yeah. He literally catches the ball from the line out and falls over. Yeah. And he scores. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because like it reminds me of like the one term where I played rugby in school, like in PE lessons. And you have mm. a PE teacher doing the rules who doesn't know the intricacies of it, that your lineup goes five metres out. That's the sort of try that would be scored in that. Because yes. I literally remember being scored in that, where you throw it to the biggest player <laughs> and he just falls over because no one wants to tackle him. Yeah. That is the vibe of this in the World Cup, which is being stolen by Fajun Skamar. So yeah, after that build-up, this is an incredibly underwhelming try, but they all count for the same. They all count for the same. Especially, well, they count for more if you get the conversion, which Superboot does! Mm. You've got bloody Superboot kicking for you, so why wouldn't you get the conversion? Yeah. It's bloody Superboot. Exactly. I then enjoyed, straight after this, the two... The, the Fiji, that like, really, really popped the cork at this point. Mm. Like, there's a, there's a couple of, like... Uh, Mkolo, who's playing seven for Fiji, just aimlessly booting the ball every time he gets it. Like, every single time. First cap as well. It's his first cap! He's a man... First cap, and he is a man desperate for chaos. Like, every time he catches the ball, as soon as Fiji are in the lead, and, like, have a decent lead, he is kicking all of the time. Yep. And I don't think there's a point where he gets the ball and just carries it, other than... There's, I think there's, there's one that maybe leads to a try at some point. But, yeah, he's kicking the ball all of the time. And there's... I think my favourite point is there's a bit where everybody just starts... Instead of throwing passes normally, everyone's throwing backhanded ones instead, even when it's not even necessary. And there's a bit where Super Boot does like a dummy and goes on the outside and then throws an out-the-back offload without realising he's stepped into touch. And then Fiji just keep throwing these out-the-back offloads, not knowing the touch show just put his flag up like 30 metres further down the pitch. It's very, very good. It's very fun. Yeah. And again, both teams by this point, by the last 15 minutes, Argentina start chucking it about. Yeah. And you kind of, it's kind of like watching their evolution from 2007 to 2015 happen in real time. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Because they go from being incredibly, like, four-dominated to the point in which they don't even pass the back. Like, it's yeah. horrendously four-dominated yeah. to being just offloading every single ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they actually do manage to get a bit of purchase out of it and sort of better. go downfield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a point that where 
Lanza, who's playing on the wing for Argentina, drops the ball. Yeah, like when when he probably should have caught like it. A but yeah, 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 when he had a really good opportunity to score. And in fairness, it was Cuesta Silva put him in loads of space by taking mm. out two Fijian defenders. But then you've got yeah, you then have Argentina have a scrum shortly after that, and they are drive the ball is going over the try line when Fiji collapses it, and they are inches out from scoring, and that is a, a clear as day penalty yes. try. Nowadays it would be given as a penalty try. Yeah, and a yellow card. Uh, but I, yeah, exactly. I guess at the time obviously there wasn't yellow cards. Yeah, but also it probably there probably wasn't that precedent of sure. yeah. scrum powering the ball over. Yeah, in that way, people look for actually the shove over try rather. Yeah. Than Collapsing a scrum over Forwards, we need to start scrumming. <laughs> so no penalty tries given. Argentina then go again, they get another scrum. They get a reset from it. At which point, Gabriel Tavana, the number eight, yes. picks and goes right away the moment the ball's at his feet rather than waiting because they're, they're shoving him over the line again as forwards. Yeah. And he knocks it on an inch short of the line. But this is given as a knock on over the line, which at the time was a 22 metre drop. Yeah, that was startling, wasn't it? So, Superboot takes it quickly before anyone's back, thumps it as long as he can, because he's bloody Superboot, yeah. and only Salva is back, and he's got two Fijians hairing down on him, and he just puts the ball, he just gets close to the touchline, puts the ball as close as he can. Yeah. So Fiji get the line out about 30 metres out. Yeah, yeah. Good old Superboot. But th- th- I think that what is important here is Argentina actually, <laughs> with about 10 minutes to go, realise they should really target the scrum because that's the one area where they're just totally dominating and they start yeah. opting for scrum from penalties and stuff realising they need to score some tries I think that there was a bit of a lack of leadership from people other than Porter Porter being a fly half like a bit yeah. of a lack of leadership in the pack to to recognise that that's what they needed to do Yes, and that they needed to, to take scrums and really target the set piece and you know maybe do some mauls and stuff like that because they'd probably drive them over they do one from a tap penalty where they they have Diego Cash set up and as though yes. they're going to crash to him. And so they run a move where it goes behind the back to someone else who then mauls. Like a really shit war move. Really shit war. Yeah. However, Argentina do get do get, do get get some joy. There's a point where yeah. Lanza suddenly becomes class. What happens there? It was... He he does like the, the slyest step and slide... beautiful. defence. It really is. And you think it's going to be one of the greatest solar tries you've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, he goes for a but really nice chip over, which is actually well people. placed. Yeah. Really good chip, and then he just drops it. He's obviously got super boot going across as well, yeah. trying to beat him to the ball. And he panics under the sheer presence because it's bloody super boot. Yeah. And he knocks the ball on. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it could have been one He flashes of up his police badge, and then Lanza just drops the ball. Yeah, it doesn't want his door kicked in. Lanza could have scored one of the all time great tries that would have still been shown to this day. Yeah. It would have come up on highlight compilations all the time yeah. as Argentina's best World Cup moments. Yeah. But uh, alas. Yeah. But um, the good news is they get a scrum from the knock-on. Yeah. Well, Fiji get the scrum, but yeah. obviously Argentina get the ball from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter which scrum I've pulled the ball in. It's Argentina's no. scrum. And they score what might be an accidental try or might be a penalty try. I'm not really I sure. Think, I think they know what they... Well, the thing is listed officially as a penalty try. Okay. But... I think the number eight does dive on it. Right. I, I, I had a feeling. The thing is, because both teams have white on their kit. Fiji playing mm. white, Argentina playing blue and white. It was hard to tell who was diving on the ball. Because I did yeah. wonder if it was the Fijian replacement scrum off who dived on the ball. So it would have been a penalty try. Either way, Argentina finally get six points. Yeah. I mean, it's deserved. They do deserve to score sure. a try. Sure, yeah. Like, the scoreboard does flatter Fiji a bit, but Fiji were... 
the only team able to utilize their strengths. Yes, like both teams had strengths. Definitely, DG actually made them count. That, I think that's an entirely fair assessment of the game. But Argentina suddenly become good after that try. Yeah. And suddenly, like they have the best patches of play. Yeah, this incredible flowing attack where Salvat throws a really nice like reverse pass, which is beautiful. And both of their centers are like really nicely timing passes. There's two really good dummies they throw, and then bloody Lanza gets the ball and starts running backwards. <laughs> it's just, I mean, look, should we? We're coming on to the end of the game. Yeah, should we do the final whistle and talk about Dick of the Day? I mean, because we've got a lot before of we get there, there. Last time I watched a super boot. Okay, because. With about two minutes to go, he plays dead on the floor in front of the referee. Yes. And Hugo Porter comes over and starts telling the referees not in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the crowd are all giggling. Like, for both sets of fans are all giggling over Superboot, like, really dramatically playing dead. No idea why he's doing it. They're trying to run the clock down. He's trying to waste time. Right, okay. That's very smart. Though. And Hugo Porter is really furious with this and is, like, walking over to him and almost kicking him to check he's alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, complaining to the referee, really hates this, yeah. really angry yeah. with this. And I love just the pure shithousing he does. Like, there's one great kick he does where he's running backwards and he still gets, like, 40 metres on it whilst in reverse. And then at the end, the way he kicks the ball out for full time is he puts the ball down as though he's going for goal. So he puts it super. on the floor... And then just so, boots it into touch instead. Yeah, so you have a penalty, and he lines it up as though, yeah, as though he's going to kick the goal and kicks it out. Yeah, just to be a bastard, and I love it. And the commentators do say, oh, he hasn't lost his sense of humour. Yeah. And he's known for being, like, a, a joker. Yeah, well, yeah. Because he's bloody super boot. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for him. I think, so yeah, we'll go, we'll, we'll wrap this up then. Do you want to start Man of the Match or Dick of the Day? Should we do Man of the Match quickly? Yes. Because I feel like we've got a lot of time to talk about Dick of the Day. Man of the Match is Superboot. Man of the Match is Superboot by a long stretch for me. I just love him. I love him. He's he's like my favourite discovery of this World Cup so far, I think. He's just, in a way, like, in a way, he's the least Fijian player ever because he's all about kicking. But he's also the Mm. most Fijian player ever. Yes. Because because of the way he has this reliance on it, but also such a sense of humour about the way he plays. Absolutely. And he's just so something... mad shit. Like, I mean, I, I talk a lot about Ramil Geisen's like, shithousing and the mm. way he kicks the ball. He's the Fijian equivalent of that. I think there is something impossibly Fijian about Super Yes. Because he's he basically built his career and he became a really beloved fan favourite. Yeah, yeah. Of the fact that he had one attribute that no one else in Fiji did. Yes. And he rode that so And was still hard. unpredictable. At the same yeah. time. He's bloody super boot. Yeah. You know? We all know he's super boot. So who's your man of the match? So I really want I really, really like Sebastian Salvat. I think yeah. he's excellent. Yeah. But I can't give it to an Argentine player. <laughs> no, when no they lose. of course not. They lose yeah, by nineteen points. They were not points. good. Yeah. They go in his favourites and lose by nineteen points. I can't give it to an Argentine, no matter how well Sebastian Salvat played, yeah. no matter how much I like him. Now, I was thinking of giving it to Savai, the second row, who scores the okay, try okay. of death. I was thinking about giving it to him until we did this podcast, at which point we've talked about Superboot so much and we've hyped so much on him, I don't feel I can give it to anyone else. Yeah, I get that. But I do want to talk about Taya Savai a bit, because okay. he unfortunately died in 2015, and there quite a oh, lot man. of the Fiji team are no longer with us, unfortunately. Right. But I want to read, there was one of his former teammates who didn't play in this game, uh, Mose Targa, who was... Uh, played with him for Fiji, played with him before that, and was his kind of lifelong best friend. They knew each other as children. Oh, wow. Fiji together and knew each other right until they died. Oh, wow. And I read this really lovely tribute to him from the Fiji son from when he, he died just before the oh, go on. World Cup. Go on. He said, Savai was a giant with a gentle heart. To be honest, I have not heard him swear in all my time with him. 
and they'd known each other for 40 years. That speaks volumes about him. He was silent, but works very hard at whatever he does. A team player, always putting the team first in everything he does. He always gave 100% in the games he played. He was an international player and played for Queensland, Waikato, as well as Fiji, Nandrongo, Suva and Nadi. Again, it speaks to volumes how he could adapt to any environment he was thrown into and keep the number four jersey. It always speaks volumes about this giant. Oh, that's lovely. That's a really nice he tribute. He goes on to, yeah, to talk about when he, he coached some kids in Fiji, he coached that minis rugby. Right. And all the kids in the village used to look at his ears and say, look at his ears, gosh, what big ears he had. <laughs> and he always thought it was very funny whenever the kids would make fun of his ears. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he was a he was massive lad. He had massive everything. <laughs> he was a giant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was a very good person, player, friend and brother. I'll miss him now, but I know we will meet up sometime in the future. Oh. And thoughts of his family and may the good Lord continue to bless them. Oh, that's lovely. That's that's really such nice. a lovely thing. He was clearly, and the president of the Fijian Rugby Union went on to say, it's not a sad day, only for his friends and family and for all the Fijian Rugby Union, but all the rugby lovers in Fiji. I used to meet him once in a while around town, and the towering giant would never pass before saying, Bula, Mr. Terrakogum. He was so humble and down to earth and such a wonderful person to know. And I just, reading that made me, I was already considering his man of the match when I went to look him up. Yeah. And it's hard to read that and not want to avoid it. Of course. For it. Yeah. I think that's um, entirely justified. Uh, sentiment yes but I thought he was fantastic he popped up all over the place yeah kind of worked similar to the Japan players we talked about as a kind of link player yeah yeah he threw one really good pass over the top to, to Vula at one point mm-hmm. as well. yes but yeah it's between him and Superboot but I, I think having reflected on it I've got it's bloody Superboot isn't it yeah I've got to go for bloody Superboot yeah what a guy Run, runner up for Savai to, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Bless Savai. yes so dick of the day Dick of the day, right, okay. So I think there's plenty of contenders coming up. One has to be Hugo Porter for what we're going to call now the Michael Liner effect. Yes. Of being an all-time great who then shits the bed when we finally watch yeah, him play. Yeah, Naituku, the prop for kicking that ball out and claiming it was for hard yeah. time. And I want to mention Paula Wainalu, mm-hmm. right, who you may not recognise was the replacement scrum off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who comes on when Tabatu Zula. As well, uh, at one point does a cross-field chip. Yes, was terrific. like a kick pass. Yeah, little kick pass, loved it. But Wanula, right, the replacement scrum off, who I was going to say is on the bench, but he was not on the bench, right? You may have noticed that the starting nine goes off, and about three minutes later, there's an applause as the replacement scrum off comes on. Fiji play like three or four plays. Like the ball goes out of play quite a few times before they can bring the replacement scrum off on. Why? Because he was sat in the stands in a suit, and he had to run down to the touchline and get changed. That's phenomenal. That's that is dick of the day worthy. Yep, that's remarkable. So he wasn't warmed up. He had to run down, change into his kit, and then run onto the pitch. And it took him about four minutes between the scrum. Oh my god! Fiji had to play with fourteen because they hadn't got a scrum off warmed up and on the touchline. That's incredible. What an era of rugby this was. This is the World Cup. It's incredible. Oh, man. That's phenomenal. So he started his World Cup in a suit. Yep. And then he ends up playing most of the game. That's incredible. That's incredible. You cannot script this. So is he Dick of the Day or are we giving Dick of the Day to the same person? Well, Dick... No, he's not Dick of the Day. Okay. Because Dick of the Day has to go to Juan Lanza. Yes. And he's getting two votes and we know this. We unspokenly knew this. We've not discussed this previously. No. But this is exceptional. So, not only does he, with the line at his mercy when he could score after Quest Silver does an incredible, 
does some really good work to put him in. Yeah. He drops the ball under no pressure when he should score. Yeah. Right? Not only that... He also falls over on that last overlap. He falls over on an overlap as well. Twice, he catches the ball and runs backwards. Yes. Right? One of them is he just runs backwards and you think, what are you doing, mate? But the first one is particularly extraordinary. So he gets the ball on a counter-attack and he has open field in front of him. He then mm. slips over and you think, it happens. Sometimes you lose your footing. Sure. Sure. Anthony Watson's been there. Exactly. He, he gets up and he's got a couple of opposition players in front of him and he thinks, okay, I've got to get around these. He doesn't. He doesn't. He has one player in front of yes, him. Yes, he, he has one player. player You're absolutely right to point this out. It's a very important detail. And he thinks, okay, I've got to get around him. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes it's even the right call to run backwards sure. for five metres so you can lose your man, then accelerate forwards instead. He tries Side, that. Whilst running sideways. Yes. You know. He tries that. And he just keeps going. And he keeps on going. Ten, and going. So the Fijian 10 keeps tracking with him. Yeah. And he retreats pretty much from about the 10 metre line. Yeah. To his own, twen- to in- inside his own 22. Yes. He retreats all the way back inside his own 22. And then kicks the ball directly into touch. Like, he doesn't make yeah. any yardage from the kick. So he ends up about 20 metres further back from where he caught the ball, and that's being generous, without yes. having made contact with anybody. He just, out of sheer fear of a man roughly his size, yeah. surrenders 20-odd metres and the ball. Yes. So this is difficult to put into words. So chances are I will have already put this on Twitter yeah. by, the, by the time this podcast goes out. But, yeah, it's remarkable. Because it is... Just extraordinary play. It's just extremely bad rugby. Yeah. It's the one thing your coach as a kid never to do. Yeah, yeah, You know, take contact if needs be. Don't run 30 metres backwards and yeah. kick the ball out. He was definitely afraid of contact, wasn't he? Hence the chip Absolutely. and chase and all the rest of it, dropping the ball. Yeah, I don't think he took contact once in the whole game, actually, come to think of it. All made a tackle. Probably not. So, yeah, that's, yeah, it's baffling, isn't it? But yeah. Yeah, he then obviously goes on to do it again, run backwards later on in the yeah, game. Yeah, like he hasn't learned. And he's just thinking, mate, what are you doing? Yeah. Why has no one bollocked you for this? Yeah, yeah. Hugo Porter screams at referees all the time. He was like the proto-damn bigger. Sure. Why isn't he bollocking his teammate yeah. for running 20 metres backwards and booting the ball out no. two metres in front of him? <laughs> 100%. Yeah, it's it's very funny. It's one of the best pieces of shit play in this the World Cup so far. commentator pisses himself. Yes, he does. That's one of the funniest things I've ever he seen. He does. A rugby pitch. Yeah, no, it's, it's very good. It's very good. I'd say it's one of the best pieces of shit play in this whole World Cup, and that's saying yeah. a lot from uh, what we've had so far. So, yeah, that's good. So that's that's us, isn't it? Yeah, that's us. That's us. That brings us to an end. Now, it's interesting, because this, obviously, is the first game Argentina and Fiji both play in the Rugby World Cup ever. Yeah. Right? Those two teams will go on to haunt two Tier 1 nations in World Cups. Oh, no. Right? Argentina, of course, go on to haunt Ireland. Yeah. Fiji, of course, go on to haunt Wales. And wouldn't you know it, the next game we'll be covering, the next game played in the 1987 Rugby World Cup, was between Wales and Ireland, the two arch nemesises of these two countries. Oh, boy. So they play each other in a big clash. And you may notice, you may notice, those who are also playing each other in the opening round of the 2022 Six Nations, which has fallen just too perfectly. So, we should all be well be joined by a guest in order yeah. to cover that. The week before, possibly even the day before, those two play each other once again. Potentially returning guest. Yeah. 30 odd years on in the 2022 Six Nations. Yeah. So, please join us next week for 
Ireland against Wales yeah. from 1987. Yes. I'll see you then. And while we're still here, I just want to dispute that Lee Mears does not sell crisps. He does. Lee Mears loves crisps more than anything. And he sells them. The only thing he loves almost as much is the 11 P's he gets for selling them. Yes. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.